right, at this time we're going to continue in our worship by praying for our congregation, for our family, for our community, um, for everyone around the world. And so if you would, please join me in prayer. All right. Oh, dear Father. Father, for you alone, Lord, do our souls await in silence. You are the rock of our salvation when everything else seems like sand. And you're patient with us. You don't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Lord, it is because we know your heart, because we know that you love us, because we know you care for us. You do not leave us on our own. You do not abandon us. But you are here with us, working in us and through us before us, behind us, and beside us, above us and below us. And we come to you with these concerns, requests, petitions, supplications, and intercession. Father, as we, as we see the situation in the world around us, as we see the um, increasing measures that we are taking as a nation and as a city to mitigate the spread of a pandemic and we see the effect that it takes on each one of us lord we ask for your ability to serve because it's not natural to us we ask that you would give us that selfless capacity to serve those around us instead of seeking that self-preservation that comes so naturally lord we we intercede on behalf of those working in the government from the presidents to the prime ministers, Lord, to the congressmen down through the mayors and the city councilmen and the aldermen. Lord, as they are working hard in overtime and making big decisions that impact all of our lives, may you give them wisdom. May you give them discernment. May they seek after you. May they seek after the way that you love us and seek to do the same. Lord, may you be with those in healthcare, those who are on those front lines of treating and testing and being around this virus every day. Uh, with this limited supply we hear of supplies, of, of uh, protective measures, that you would protect them, Lord. Keep their lives close in your hand. Hold them tightly. Give them the knowledge and the skill and the perception to help to know when to intervene. Lord, and may they know may they know the the satisfaction you have with their efforts, the way that you enjoy their their capacity and their desire to serve your fellow human beings whom you create and whom you love. And Lord, may through in all of this, through um the time of staying at home and in the new life situations we find ourselves in and the new daily routines that we have, may you show us how our love may abound. May you cause our love to abound more and more. May our knowledge and discernment of you, of the way you are working, of the things you are doing, of how you are interceding in this world come to the forefront so that we might know you more 
so that our relationship with you might grow stronger and so that, Lord, first and foremost, that we might declare your glory and those around us might know the light of your gospel and the goodness and the peace of your grace. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So the other day, I was going through my computer to clean it up. I was deleting old files. I was organizing things into folders and, and uninstalling programs that I don't use anymore because I was, as all of us are, we're stuck inside a lot, and so that seemed like an easy thing to do. But the problem was, as I was going through that process, I kept running into an error. And my computer kept telling me, you do not have the administrative authority to perform that action. Which is absolutely ridiculous because it's my computer. It's I own it. I am the administrator. I am the ultimate authority over that computer. So for it to defy me like that was incredibly frustrating. But then there was also that other side where I felt this keen sense of frustration because there are so many areas of life where I feel like nobody has the authority to do what needs to be done. And so even my own computer, I don't have the authority to do that. Where else is it so lacking? And perhaps now more than ever, we are in a situation where those in authority are are needed to act quickly and decisively and correctly to mitigate the effects of COVID-19, to establish policies, to help people who have just lost their jobs in this past week and to to figure out this whole toilet paper situation. But in and amongst it, amongst it all, that, that lack of authority that I feel to really make a change, to really help out, to, to make a difference, to create an impact in this world, I often feel helpless and inconsequential. Maybe you can relate to that. In our passage for today, which was written during the time and about when Jesus was alive, the general population of Israel similarly felt like they had little authority in their own lives. For one, the Roman Empire was in charge, and uh, they were in charge of life in general. They had lots of rules and regulations about what you could and could not do, where you could and could not go, and the different taxes and fees and things you had to pay and, and who you had to pay fealty to. And then besides that, they also had the religious teachers who put themselves in charge of all the little things that the Roman government didn't regulate. The religious teachers put their fingers into to regulate and to have authority over in their lives. And so the common person's life was quite restricted by everyone else's authority. And yet in the midst of the sense of a lack of authority, of a lack of agency, Jesus tells his followers both then and now that God has given us the authority of his name. That's a big statement. Because if we believe that God is all-powerful, if we believe he is sovereign, if we believe he is in control, to have the authority of his name means that we have greater authority than we, than we could ever possess through worldly means. I invite you to turn with me to the scripture passage where we 
explore this subject. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Um, and so this time we don't have a screen where you can follow along with the uh, Bible verses. And so I, I really do invite you to pull out a Bible if you have or a cell phone right now and either go to a Bible app or to um, the Internet and look up on a website for the Bible verses. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And so if you're turning there in your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way through. It's going to be after the books of, of Matthew and Mark. And it's going to be before the books of John and Acts. And so I invite you to turn there. And as you're turning there, to be considering this question of what does it mean for us to have that authority? Put another way, how does our life look different if God really has given us that authority of his name? All right, so we're going to start in Luke Chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12 and then can finish off in verses 17 through 20. So Luke writes this. He says, And this the Lord appointed, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Continuing on in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Then he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hmm. Join me for a word of prayer. Dear Father, Oh, Lord, as we dig into your scripture and your words, may you send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds and our souls to your word and to what you're saying. Lord, may all the glory be given to you and not to us, not to anything that we're doing. But may we be doing this, may our hearts be oriented such that you get and deserve the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. We know that God has given us the authority of his name because... He is the one who, number one, sends us, number two, provides for us, and number three, watches over us. And so we'll start in on that first point. 
God sends us. So if you look with me in verses 1 and 3, Jesus does the same thing here that he has previously done with the 12 disciples. So back in chapter 9, he gave the same instructions and sent the 12 disciples out to do the same type of mission. And here he's doing it again. He's sending out this time 72 others. And in verse 3, he says to them, Behold, I am sending you out. Now, to state the obvious, we are not the 72 in this story. We are not the ones being sent on this specific mission at that specific point in time. Yet, there's a pattern here. First, in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 on this mission. And then he sends out the 72, and he's broadening the scope of those who are being sent And it continues to broaden from there. In the last four verses of Matthew, we read the Great Commission in which Jesus calls the disciples to go and to make more disciples, who are then called to make more disciples, who are then called to make more disciples. And that's where we fit into this. And we know that we're included in the scope of this very same mission which Jesus repeats and he broadens and he gives to everyone who follows him because the apostles and the the apostles and Paul, they affirm that we are the inheritors of that mission. All right, all that to affirm that though we are talking specifically about what the 72 are doing here and his instructions to them, we are called to do a very same, if not very similar work that the followers are sent to do here. And so what is that mission? Well, Jesus has a twofold thing he tells the disciples to do. That's the followers, right? The followers to do. One is to pray and the other is to heal. Look with me in verse 2. Jesus calls his followers to pray for more laborers. Interesting, in all the times that Jesus has given instructions how to pray, um, this one seems the most indirect to the mission. They're sending, he's sending them out to go and to prepare the way for him to get people to be excited about knowing Jesus. And he's saying, as you're doing this, pray for more people to do this work. It's a bit of a heart check for us as as churches. When we are praying, and perhaps when we're praying this prayer for more laborers, are we praying for more people to come and to hear us and to hear us proclaim the message of Jesus, for us to reap the harvest, for us to enjoy the benefits of that? Or are we praying with the heart that we genuinely want as many people as possible to be doing the work of Christ, whether they're in our church or in others. Because what Jesus is saying is the harvest is far more than any one group of people can manage. It's far more than any of us can manage that we currently are. We should continually be desiring for more people to be spreading the gospel, for more people to be witnessing, for more people to be doing it well. And then in verse 9, we get to that second part of the mission that he charges them out. Jesus calls on his followers to heal the sick. What better way is there to get people excited for Jesus to come, to get people wanting to hear what he has to say, to get them to want to know him more than to heal them? to relieve them of whatever infirmity or or sickness is ailing them and for them to experience that holistic healing and to know that it was Jesus that did that. 
And notice this next part. After healing them, Jesus instructs them to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We know that God has given us the authority of his name because he himself is the one who has sent us, sent us to pray, sent us to heal so that the world would know and seek after Jesus. A couple of years ago, I was traveling back to my hometown and uh, I was using Air Choice One to fly on most of the way there. And as I was sitting in the waiting lounge in uh, Lambert International Airport, one of the agents of Air Choice One came by and, and she gave me and my wife a free pass for the next time that we were going to use that airline. Totally out of the blue, totally random, just, just because she had the authority to do so and decided to do so at that moment, she gave us a free ticket for our next flight, wherever it might go. And let me tell you, that made me a whole lot more excited to fly with them. Right? I just wish more people would use their authority to give out free flights, which they might be doing more often soon in the near future. We'll see. But as great as that authority is to give out free flights, the authority that we've been given in Jesus' name is far greater than what that agent had. When Jesus sends us to heal people, he, see, he, he is intending for us to do more than just relieve them of bodily infirmity. If you look with me in verse 17, when the 72 returned and rejoiced that even the demons were subject to us in your name. Now, Jesus didn't tell them to cast out demons. He told them to go pray and to heal. And yet, part of that healing process, part of that work that they did with the authority of his name, did something as powerful and as great as casting out the supernatural demons. And that's because healing goes so far beyond bodily infirmity. It includes the mental and the emotional and the physical and the psychological and the physiological ways in which the kingdom of darkness affects humanity. Now to review back from the past couple of weeks, if you weren't able to join us for worship, we discovered and we explored that the goal of the kingdom of darkness, as it says in Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, is to blind the world to the light of the gospel. And they do that, as we explored last week, by destroying our humanity. By humanity, we mean the image of God that God has made each person in and through. The kingdom of darkness seeks to chip away and to distort and to twist and to corrupt our ability to speak and to reason and to relate, which is intended so that we can be in relationship with God and with each other. Intended so that we can faithfully steward over all of creation. Intended so that we can love as Jesus loves. And they seek to twist that, to isolate us, to break us out of relationship, to cause us to harm creation more than to help, and to cause us to hate more than we love. Or perhaps even worse, to be apathetic. Right now, COVID-19 is the clear and present sickness that our world needs healing from. It's in our faces. It's on our news cycles. So let's do everything we can that God has given us authority to do in his name to heal the people around us. Right? And right now, in this case, we are talking about bodily infirmities. So what can we do? We can, number one, first and foremost, the most powerful and effective thing that we can do is pray. 
Pray for them. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for those, perhaps we know them. Perhaps they're a healthcare worker that is at risk of infection. Perhaps they're a family member or a friend or someone we've heard about. Pray for them. Pray that they would be healed. Pray and declare in Jesus' name and by the authority that he has given us to bring his healing power upon those who are sick. And then also to use all the other resources he has given us, such as our system of government. They advise us to do a number of measures to mitigate its spread. Let's do it. To use our knowledge and our wisdom and our physical resources to help the different people recover, to help their bodies recover. If we're a nurse or a doctor or we work somewhere in healthcare, that's great. You have a very direct way of doing that. But I think another beautiful example is there's someone from our congregation who owns a laundromat. And that is a way of being, that can be used to help in this case of being used to sanitize clothes and different things so that the infection doesn't spread through that. What a beautiful thing, even in the ways in which we work, which don't seem directly related to affecting this, there are ways in which we can be used and through the authority of Jesus' name and through his love and through his mission to be healers in this world. Yet, the healing, the need for healing in our society, and especially right now in our specific moment in time, goes so much further than that. Fear and anxiety and paranoia are creeping up in, in everyone. <laughs> we go to the grocery store, and, and for the first time ever at Aldi, I saw all of the canned goods gone. I've never seen anything like that. Of course, in addition to everything else that seemed to be empty on the shelves, clearly people are struggling from the fear of what might happen, of maybe possibly not having enough, of a paranoia of, of what they think is the worst case scenario of what's to come. In fact, I even felt that myself sometimes waking up this week. The paranoia of, man, how bad is this going to get and how bad is it going to get for me? We can be healers to those people around us. We can be healers to those who are going to face hardship from the income that they're going to lose, whether they own a business or whether they're those who have been infected and impacted and have lost their jobs. We can be healers to everyone who's losing that face-to-face interaction that we have with one another. We were created to be in relationship, to have to be social creatures. And right now that's impacted. It's harder to do. We don't get the luxury of being face-to-face, of getting physical contact. And so let us use the means at our disposal. Let us use the authority that Jesus has given us to pray for each other, to interact with each other, to love one another, to be in relationship. And we can do that selflessly because we know We know that, and this is our second point, that just as God has sent us, so he provides for us. God provides for us. If you look with me in verse 4, Jesus sent them out without any money, without any extra possessions, without any clothing, and saying not to greet anyone that was on the road. Now, we can relate with the whole physical distancing thing, not greeting each other while on the road, but, but this whole not worrying about stocking up on money and on personal belongings, whew, 
What does that look like for us? Now, because we're not going down on a journey, we're not taking knapsacks and, and money bags and journeying from town to town trying to get into each and every house and, and, and tell people about Jesus. We're, in fact, we're doing the opposite of that. We're staying in our houses right now. But the principle of what Jesus is saying looks the same. Trust that God will provide what we need to accomplish, what he's sending us to do. Now, the immediate thought that comes to mind when we think of provision is of the things that we get at the grocery store. Right? Those are our basic needs of, of, of food and also of shelter and of clothing. And those things are absolutely included in this promise of provision. Because here's what happens when we don't lean into that promise, when we don't rely on that and have confidence that, yes, God will provide for us, that he will take care of us. It's a phenomenon that we see happening right now is when those of us who have the means to hoard food, to, to store large supplies of food that maybe we might not ever eat, that will, maybe will go bad before we ever get to it, just in case things go bad, we make it that much harder for those who don't have the means to access food in the same way we do. Those who maybe have to go to work, who are working long shifts, who can't get there right as the grocery store is finished stocking the different supplies. And because we have taken all of it, their choices are much more limited and their ability to take anything is much more limited. And perhaps they don't have the means to store it. We could go on and on, but there are those who are not in the position to stock up on the supplies as we are. When we get overwhelmed by our fear and anxiety and paranoia of what might be of, the, of facing any possible hardship instead of relying that, yes, God will provide what we need. And therefore, we can look out for our fellow neighbor and be considerate of them and serve them. But God's provision goes way beyond just the physical supplies that we may need to acquire Right, Because his mission is sending us out to tell the world about Jesus. And so his provision goes even into giving us the opportunities to share. Bringing people who are willing to hear so that we can share with them. And giving us the words that we are supposed to say, the words that we should say, the words that he will use to change people's hearts, to open their eyes to restore their humanity away and back from the darkness that may have overcome it. Here's the thing about God's provision. He often does it through relationships with each other. In verses 6 through 8, Jesus tells the followers that they're going to have to ask for food and shelter. They're going to have to seek out towns where people are going to be willing to listen, which also means that people had to be willing to share in their abundance. That means that just as God is sending people out, so he has also placed people who are willing to provide, willing to share in abundance. And so if we're in need, if you find yourself right now in need, whether that be financially or in need of food or supplies or of shelter or in those less tangible things, in need of knowledge, in need of understanding, in need of relationship, in need of somebody to speak into those fears and anxieties that you may have with all of the different things that are going on. We're called to ask. 
to seek out those who may be able to help us. And we here at Christ Church, we desire, we hope to, and, and we will be those people who are willing to receive that ask to help you, to help connect you with that which you need, to hopefully bring you that comfort, to bring you into those relationships. Whatever it is, we don't want you to be hesitant in asking. Come ask, come talk to us. We want to talk with you. We want to help you. Because there are those of us who, are, who do have abundance. And if you're one of those, if, if you are one of that group of, of us that have abundance, then we are called to be generous and to be gracious. And that's much more impactful. That, that's all that more stark of a thing to do in times when supplies are, are not in, in, in danger of not being there, but in the possibility of not even being there. To be generous and to be gracious in that time is a huge testament to your confidence in the provision of God. Whether that's material or whether that's otherwise. God provides for us when he sends us as a testament to the authority that he has given us in his name. And throughout that process, this is our last point for today, God watches over us. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 18. So the 72 have come back and they've reported all of their successes that they've had. That was beyond their wildest imaginations. And Jesus says this. He says, I was watching you while you were working. I saw Satan fall. I saw the kingdom of darkness being driven back. When you were working, when you were praying, when you were healing, I saw the effect of it. And it wasn't a subtle victory. It was dramatic. It was like lightning coming from the heavens. And Jesus go on, I I have given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And here he's referring back to Genesis 3 where in the serpent of that passage and into Ezekiel 2.6 with the scorpion in that passage where the forces of God, the forces against God are characterized as serpents and scorpions, right? He's not talking about actual animals here, but he's saying, I have given you all of the authority over all of the power of the enemy. We have been given the authority to overcome all of the works of Satan, to overcome all of the ways in which he is seeking to destroy humanity and to drive us out of relationship, seeking us to make us destroy the creation that we were given stewardship of over and to, in, in all the ways that he seeks us to drive us away from the love that Jesus has given to us and that he has done as an example for us. Nothing shall hurt you, is what Jesus says. Now let's put this into perspective when he says that, because the followers on their journey undoubtedly faced hardship and trials and struggles. Jesus told them they were going to, in verse 10, there would be times when the towns would reject them. And they would probably have to go without food, without shelter, without supplies. And yet, even for all that they struggled through, at the end of their mission, they returned rejoicing. For they were successful beyond their wildest imagination. 
so it is with us. Though God has sent us out on this mission, though He is watching over us and we know He's providing for us with what we need to overcome the powers of darkness in this world, He does not say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say it's going to be a cakewalk. In fact, He promises the opposite. He says it will be very hard on us. There will be times of suffering. Yet, when we return to Him, when we finish our mission, we will have experienced success beyond imagination. Seeing even the powers that seemed insurmountable, the, the authorities that seemed beyond our ability to influence and to bring light to, subject to the authority that we have been given in Jesus' name. But that is not our source of joy. The power and authority that we have been granted is not our comfort. No, our source of joy, our comfort in those hard times, in those times where we have to go without so that we can serve others. The one thing that compels us to persevere in the times of extreme trials is the knowledge and the confidence that our names are written in the book of life. Because Jesus has already achieved victory over death itself. When he died on that cross, he took away the penalty of sin. He took away the power of death. And when he rose from the grave, when he came back to life, and we came back to life with him as in and through his life, he gave us and we now have eternal life. Meaning that though we might die physically, though we might suffer here on earth, we know, one, that we are in relationship with Him now. We know what it means to be a child of God. And we get to be with Him forever. When He comes again. In His name, we have been given the authority to overcome the powers of darkness, to restore humanity through His power, through His name. And it is in His victory that we find our joy. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, You have sent us you watch over us that this moment in time when that promise that you will provide for us seems the most uncertain. And so we ask that you would continue to show that to us, give us the confidence to rely on you and then to come through powerfully. Lord, as we seek and we pray for people, remind us to pray for people and then heal them. Heal them when we ask. So that, not for our glory, not that they might care anything about us, Lord, but so that they may know You, that You may be glorified, that they may want to know Your name and to be in relationship with You and to have everlasting life. Father, we pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.